is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I am your host this time around. My name is Ben Hansen and I'm joined by one Jeff Cork. Hello, one Ben Hansen. Here we go. All right, we are nearing the end of season four. Uh, we are covering episodes 13, 14, and 15 from season four in this podcast. Yes. Uh, the episode- are you still having fun? Because you just said, huh. and here we go. And it sounded like there was an amount of dread in your voice. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tip my hand early. I, I liked one of these episodes. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is that even overshooting your assessment? <laughs> That's of it? interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll get to it. Uh, but I, I'm strangely getting used to the hour-long format. I think yeah. when it goes back down to 20 minutes in the next season, it's just going to fly by. I think you're right. This next one is just going to be a big blur. Yeah. Yeah. The Franklins are going to be a long, grueling process. But once we're out of those woods. Yes. Episode number 13 from season four is called The New Exhibit. Yes. You're talking about, <laughs> you're doing this one though, right? Yeah, no, I was just fucking with it. <clears throat> um, okay. It's called the new exhibit. And so this one is basically like Robert Duvall in miniature. Yeah. Only the creepiest, worst guy. In, like if Robert Duvall didn't have any charm to his performance, it was super creepy. So I'll let you yeah. describe what's going on. Okay. Here's what's going on. Uh, they are in a wax museum. There's a group of people going on a tour. It's how the episode opens. Uh, they eventually get to the murderer's row where they house all the wax figures from murderers from the past. So they have, maybe you're more familiar with these guys, but I looked them up at the time and they are real murderers, but they have, you know, Jack the Ripper is the most famous one. Then they have like people that strangle and some other weirdos, uh, famous murderers from throughout history. And curating this tiny area inside this larger wax museum is a guy named Martin. Yes. Uh, and this guy takes over the tour at that point and really starts sympathizing with the murderers. Like as he's leading the, you know, the visitors around, he's talking about like, oh boy, must be tough for these guys having to murder and murder again. No one ever sees things from the murderous point of view. And then the highlight of the tour, clearly what he loves the most is he's demoing like the Jack the Ripper wax Mm -hmm. figure. Uh, And then he has a secret little switch by the foot of Jack the Ripper. And when he steps on it, it makes the wax figure stab with his knife. Yes. Uh, and then he like narrowly dodges it and everyone's like, oh my God. And everyone's like, you're sick. F- let's get out of here. Uh, and everybody leaves. Yeah. Uh, so that is this man's full-time job. Only curator of the murderer's row division inside this larger wax museum. Yes. What's the point of a wax museum? You go there and say, this thing looks like that person. Oh. And that is it. <laughs> I don't know how much more plainly I could put it. Yeah. And... Uh, as a result of wax museums being really lame and the idea that they had enough of a budget to fund a special curator for one section, the murderer's row section, mm-hmm. uh, this museum ends up going out of business and they have like a speech with the museum owner talking about like, Oh, you know, they're talking about putting a supermarket here and oh they- yeah, he breaks. He's like, I got to talk to you about this, Martin. This is Mr. Ferguson. His yeah. boss is basically like, Hey, that was a really good job with that speech. You know, you've always done a good job, by the way, that was your last <laughs> Because I'm shutting this down tomorrow. Right, right. Just no, like, no. no warning. And he goes on explaining that, like, the reason is because no one likes wax museums anymore. I mean, they're familiar with the horrors at Dachau. 
Uh, so it's this world, and that's the reason why no one's scared of anything anymore, because the world's gotten so scary, so they don't need to be scared by a dumb Jack the Ripper doll. But just moments ago, we saw people freak out when that stupid arm moved. <laughs> so clearly, his whole hypothesis is incorrect. Okay. Also, in that exhibit in the beginning, uh-huh. there's like two... It's, it's a weird wax sculpture, believe it or not, but there's like two guys... Uh, attacking this woman in her bed. Yeah. And at a certain point, like a guy on the tour, I think he's like a soldier. He's even. a little sailor. Yeah, he's yeah. Wearing... He goes over and tries to like look at the lady's face. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a big thing. Like, oh, don't go over there. You don't know what those guys are capable of. Like, don't mess with this exhibit. Right. So at that point, you're thinking, are these guys alive secretly? What's going on here? Also, they aren't actual wax figures. They are actors holding very still. Yes, and they, they actually do a phenomenal job. They do a pretty good job, but you can tell they want to move so bad. Yeah. But it's Twilight Zone. It's Who better can... than Still Valley. Yes, definitely better than Still Valley. You know what they kind of look like? They look like the weird versions of the tiny toys at the end of Five Characters in Church of an Exit. Ah, yeah. Remember, it's like that weird fusion of they're kind of waxy, kind of putting a lot. Of, they got a lot of makeup on. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty rough looking. Uh, so... He is very concerned about where these wax figures are going to go once the museum closes down. And he keeps talking about like, oh, these are these are famous. Don't you know who sculpted these? Gima. Gima made these. <laughs> and they're like, yes, yes, we know. It's the best wax designer in the world. Everyone um, would know. And you think that the guy who owns the wax museum would know the provenance of the wax figures that he ostensibly purchased, right? Right, right. You'd think so. And so basically, this guy is so passionate about these wax murderers that he decides to bring them home and install them in his basement to just look out for them for a while. But he has to get an air conditioner out there because right. if it gets too hot, these wax figures are going to melt. Yeah. And they are just these ginormous boxes. And you can tell his wife is not loving this idea at all. She is the most tolerant person in the world because she's she's not smiling, but she doesn't freak out. Yeah. She's totally, she's pretty rational about it. She's saying like, I don't know about this. Like the AC cost, the bill, it's really going to shoot it's, through yeah. the roof. Uh, I can't do laundry down here because it's going to be too humid and it'll melt Jack the Ripper's face. Right. So essentially, they just don't do laundry for the weeks and weeks that these wax figures are in their basement. And also, I'm married to a man who just does nothing, really. You give a speech like every, every couple hours about how you wish you were a murderer. Yeah, yeah, basically it. Uh, so as the episode goes on, uh, he just becomes more and more obsessed with the figures. Like He's very particular about their clothing. So this is, okay, real quick as an aside, he wants to take care of these figures, right? Yeah. Why does he take them out of the crates? Because that's the thing is he doesn't just like bring these figures home. Yeah. He brings them home, opens the crates and sets them up. Well, because, I mean, you understand what it's like to buy like a Star Wars toy. You don't want to leave it in the package. He wants to play with them. Like he's like touching these guys a lot, you know? Oh, yeah. He yeah, just I mean, can't keep his hands off of them. It's super weird. He's, he touches their fabric a lot. He's got to run his fingers through it to make sure it's doing okay. Uh, that so, is a full-time job, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot of finger wear on these seams. He, he keeps talking about that. Like, yeah. oh, Jack the Ripper has a little hole in his in his shirt. How did that happen? We'll have to stitch it up or something. I don't know how these wax figures are getting damaged so much. Unless Probably there's something we're... non-stop getting dusted all the time. <laughs> Seriously, I don't understand how watching these like five figures is a full-time job. There are literally five figures in this wing of the wax museum. That brings me to the next point. Where did the lady in the bed go? Was she not a wax figure after all? Is he just does he have no interest in her? Oh, that's an interesting. Yeah, he, <laughs> she just threw her in the garden. It's like, <laughs> eh, whatever. Let the dogs eat her face off. It's just wax. <laughs> oh, God. It's just wax. Yeah, it's not a big deal. All right. So, anyways. 
the wife eventually starts confiding more and more in her brother, who's basically Seth MacFarlane, uh, mm-hmm. confiding more and more in him just about how her husband is becoming obsessed with these wax figures. He's always down in the basement taking care of them. Uh, the energy bills are through the roof. And she goes, it's the first time anything's come between us. I hate those murderers. It <laughs> <laughs> was my favorite. Uh, so at a certain point, the brother's like, hey, here's what you do. You sneak down in the middle of the night and you unplug the AC and it's going to get really hot. And then those things are going to melt and then problem taken care of. And he's like, you know, air conditioners break down. No one's going to ask any questions about they this. They get unplugged. They get unplugged all the time. All right. So here's my favorite part of the episode. She goes downstairs. And as you can imagine, in a pretty small basement at night, uh, these wax figures look super creepy because they're all, they all have like weapons, different weapons, and they're evil looking men, right? And so she has to sneak by all these wax figures at night. It's a pretty creepy scene to get to the air conditioner plug. Mm-hmm. She's going to unplug it or whatever. Um, so she's on her way over there. And then all of a sudden, Jack the Ripper's hand with the knife lunges mm-hmm. and she screams. And then I think, does Martin hear her? Is that what happens? And he runs down there. That must be it. No, it's covered. It's the next morning? Yeah, it's the next morning. Okay, anyway, yeah. so at a certain point, Martin, the weirdo, goes downstairs and sees his wife lying dead next to the statue. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I was thinking, is this like a grave situation and she had a heart attack? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay. Because I didn't know if like it was the arm moving because at that point we knew that it had some kind of mechanism in it. Right. So, so I was like, did she activate it accidentally? Was terrified? Yeah. So it seems like that's what happened. She was on her way over to the AC, yes. stepped on the switch accidentally. She didn't right. know it existed. You'd think Martin would have shown that off. But yeah. one thing interesting about these statues. <laughs> uh, but so she steps on it and the knife swings. And apparently Martin was keeping that knife real sharp. Real. Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> because then it stabbed her and there's like blood all over the knife. Uh, and he buries her in the basement yes and like covers it up with cement yada 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 because that is as a homeowner it's trivially easy to dig a hole in your concrete foundation everybody knows just in the course of an afternoon (laughs) and there's like no excess dirt he's just like he's got a little trowel he just patches it over yeah yeah I, i i was thinking about this maybe too much she must have had the craziest last second of life because in her mind, she died thinking this statue was alive yes. and it's stabbing me right now and now I'm dead. Right. Which is really crazy to think about. And to make it worse, Jack the Ripper looks exactly like Andrew Jackson used to look on the $20 bill before the redesign. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a pretty scary thought. <laughs> uh, so anyways, then... Then the gas man comes. Well, hang on. First, okay. like he makes the case for why he has to bury his wife. He says, like, I can't go to the cops. They'll never believe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's very logical. Like, if I go to prison, who the hell is going to take care of these statues? Like, somebody needs to take care of these statues. That's clearly his p- first priority is yeah. that these statues are totally safe. Yes. Uh, so that's why he ends up burying his wife. So the gas man comes. Just it says, gas man here, and he's, like, in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So he's downstairs, and he's talking to Martin for a little while. And then suddenly he's like... Hey, wait a minute. What are those five figures standing behind you? It takes him way too long to figure out that there's five gigantic, creepy statues. Right. Like three feet away from him. Uh, so he inspects those, and he's like, oh, boy, I got to show my wife. Oh, look at this. And he's like, oh, you should just get out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't want any questions asked. And it's like the tension's kind of building in terms of like, is Martin going to have to kill this guy? Right. What's going to happen? 
Uh, he doesn't. Gas Man escapes. But then, but doesn't the Gas Man notice the knife? Oh, he does. Yeah, because he like, says, "Oh, what crazy detail! Why is there blood all over yeah, this even, knife?" Yeah, even there's blood all over the knife. Which is, I mean, for the how detailed those wax statues are, the bloody knife is not really the most interesting part. Like, it's pretty easy to put fake blood on a knife. But wasn't it still wet? Was that his? Mm, could thing? be. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he noticed it too much. But then the brother comes over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, "Hey, where's my sister?" He's like, "Oh, she's visiting my sister." And he's like, "Oh, funny. You think I would have been told that you had a sister?" Uh, and then he hears the air conditioner coming from downstairs, so he knows right. something's up because he told her to stop it. So the brother goes downstairs. Yeah, he they leave, he leaves and says, "Well, when my sister comes home, oh, that's right. You know, be sure to." Tell her I stopped by. Right, And right. then he does. He leaves and then comes around like this. Sneaks in the back door to the go into the basement. Door. Uh, so then he enters the basement. It's dark. He sees the trowel that the Martin used to like bury and like mm-hmm. cover over the cement for where he buried his wife, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and so he sees the trowel. And then we just see his face as he's looking up at the murderer with an axe. Yeah. And he's just screaming. Yes. And that's all you know. And then Martin comes downstairs and he sees his brother-in-law dead. And so at this point, it's a good mystery because it's like, mm-hmm. well, did he just get scared seeing this axe murderer? And then he stood up really quickly and got the axe lodged in his head? Or like, what, what, go, what's yeah, what exactly here? is going on here? Did you have any theories exactly what was breaking down? I thought, well, it's Twilight Zone. The dummies are coming alive. But they don't show it. No, they don't. Okay. So eventually the episode continues. I, I don't know if they explain what he does with the brother-in-law, like how he hides the body. Um, I don't think he even hides the body. If I'm not mistaken, he just like kind of piles them up against yeah, I don't know. the I don't wall remember. or something. Anyway, so eventually the museum owner uh, comes over and is like, hey, uh, we got a great place out in uh, Brussels. Uh, they want to buy all the wax figures. Yeah, so but at this th- point, he like the... Um, Mr. Ferguson also notices that Martin has taken to sleeping downstairs with the dummies. Yeah, he knows something's a little bit up, but he's very happy also because he also apparently loves these statues. Yeah. uh, That they found a good home for him. But he mentions, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, he mentions that when he was like shopping them around at some point, that no one has ever heard of Gima, the designer Hmm. that he mentions. And it's like, okay, so it adds a little bit of mystery. It's like the greatest wax collectors in the world have not heard of this guy that is supposedly an amazing designer of these wax figures yeah so where do these wax figures come from who can say well probably the person who ultimately made them right that's probably an inkling of an idea that's a good point like you know it's that classic thing where he's like oh we found a good home for these guys they're gonna go to a better place and then uh, oh martin just loses it he's like ah they're not ready yet Uh, he can't he can't part with these guys (laughs) jack the ripper's got a hole in his shirt right seams and whatnot and so he goes up to make some tea yes uh, and as he's boiling the tea and the tea kettle's whistling, then right before that, it shows the boss in the basement really studying these guys up, mm-hmm. up close. Oh, with the measuring tape? and Yeah, because he's like trying to figure out like how big they're going to be so he can ship them over to Brussels. Uh, and then the strangler murderer who has like a rope in his hands, mm-hmm. you finally see him move and yes. he chokes the life out of the boss. Right. Uh, and then Martin comes back downstairs and it's very much like, oh, oh, you strangler. Like he has a name for him. Mm-hmm. He's like, what have you done? As he's talking to these wax statues then about like what they've done and how they're so bad, 
it keeps cutting to Jack the Ripper's face in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool because like you can see just a very subtle smile mm-hmm. on the wax figure every time there's a close-up, but then in the wide shots, yeah. they just look normal again. Um, so it's building up this idea that like the statues are alive, but they're not really moving yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, they all start slowly moving. Because he, he grabs the axe. Right. And right. he's like threatening to chop them apart. And he's like, okay, who should I start with? You right, know? right. Who's going to get it first? And then at that moment. And then uh, they all start marching towards them. And they don't speak. They just have like VO as they're marching. Mm-hmm. And it's like doing a close up of all the figures right. walking towards them. And they're all saying, not so, Martin. You are the murderer. You are the murderer. Uh, and then it cuts to That's the right. Brussels exhibit. Uh, and all the figures are there, except there's six now. And the sixth one is Martin holding a knife, I believe. Oh, he's, he's like leaning on a shovel. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they explain that he murdered three people and that he's the scariest one of all because his eyes look so realistic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's a lesson from the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Apparently all it takes to get in a museum in a hall of famous murderers is to kill three people. Yeah. I feel like you've probably accidentally killed three people throughout your life. Not even knowing it. Exactly. Jeez. But it's like, he's up there with Jack the Ripper. How many people did Jack the Ripper kill? I don't know. Like dozens, right? And he's like... I don't know about that. Probably uh, four or five or something. So why is he so famous then? This guy probably because... I don't know. They just... They have the box there. Then they're moving (laughs) already, you know? And they're like, okay. I wonder if he got to choose his pose. That was like the sequel episode is like all of the monster murderers trying to be like, oh, what if you're like this? Oh, I recommend like this. It's kind of like a Toy Story thing. You're going to want to lean on a thing. (laughs) God, those actors must have wanted to move so badly. And then when they can finally start walking forwards. Oh, they look like super stiff and creepy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It looked really satisfying. Yeah. I, I thought this was a pretty spooky episode. Yeah. So do you think that he killed them to protect the secret? Not the secret, but I to mean, protect the figures. I just, it, it's kind of moot at this point. It's like you could come up with that theory, but then again, like the twist at the end of him becoming a wax figure, it's like, well, what does that mean? Like yeah. if that didn't happen, then mm-hmm. it'd be a more interesting debate. I yeah. think whether or not he actually murdered them and right. it'd be more interesting if he did. Uh, but then again, it's like, well, people see a wax version of him. So like everything's out the window as far as mm-hmm. logic goes. I guess. So do you recognize the actor? No. He was the agent in the 16-millimeter shrine. Really? Yeah. The main guy? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a good callback, man. Yeah. A classic episode. This is a very classic episode. <laughs> Who could forget that one? <laughs> uh, but I like, I like how they did a good job with the three murders of slowly ramping up the idea that these are alive. Like, yeah, because the, yeah, the first one you had the knife and we already... Had a stamp. Maybe if this, the first and second had been reversed, it'd be a little better. But we knew that the knife had, there was that, you know, some kind of mechanism. It was already said. established. Right. Stablished. Oh, Ben Hansen. But, you know, that could have scared her to death. And the other guy, like you said, a little, it's a bit of a stretch, but bonking his head into an axe fatally. Or something. Or yeah. getting super spooked. Right. But then when you actually, then there's the big payoff of actually seeing the rope. Go around the guy's neck, which is pretty cool. I guess it's a payoff. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I like this episode. Also, also the idea, yeah, that you don't know where these figures came from. Mm-hmm. That they could be the murderers still alive in some way. Yeah. Like if no designer actually made them where they came from is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up giving this one a seven, Cork. I gave it a six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty close. And there's nowhere to go but up, right? Well, yeah, because obviously next stop, Cliffordville. 
in the episode of late, I think of Cliffordville. The worst. I, I'm going to call the Franklins at a time. The worst title of the season. Yeah, it's not Of great. late, I think of Cliffordville. It has to be a reference to something that I don't understand either. So it opens up with um, a guy getting called into an office, and then the secretaries are kind of like making reference to, oh boy, this guy's going to get torn apart because the boss is such a tremendous a-hole. He's going to mm-hmm. offer him a cigar and then just proceed to tear his throat out. Right. So then we go into the office, and that's exactly what's happening. The guy... Behind the desk uh, in what's possibly the worst old man makeup I've ever seen. So right out of the gate, you know, we're going back in time. Because there's no reason they would have to dress this guy up in such crappy old man makeup. It, I was thinking about it actually while I was watching it. Because, you know, we have the benefit of um, streaming it and it's a nice HD yeah. signal and everything. Maybe when TVs were all weird. And Back old, when they were all, weird. <laughs> all weird and old. The makeup uh, didn't look quite as bad, yeah. but it is rough. I think it was like a camera obscura back then that they just had a pinprick in their wall and then it broadcast <laughs> the image upside down. Upside down, so everyone had to like lie on their couches backward, you know, yeah, whatever. Even then, the makeup would still look like, <laughs> yeah, okay. But anyway, the guy is basically saying, you know, um, we learned that the relationship between these two people, they're both kind of older guys, but the one guy is a legitimately older man. And we also, that, that guy that's a legitimately older yes. man, uh, Mr. Diedrich, uh-huh. is his name, Dead Rich or whatever. Um, did you recognize which actor that was? No. He was the captain in Odyssey of Flight 33, which it seems like we're bringing up more and more. Ah. Also, he was Gabriel in Passage for Trumpet. Ah, who could forget that gem? <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> um, so we learned that the older... How about we just do their names? That'll make it easier, <laughs> right? William Feathersmith is uh, a name that can only exist in a script. <laughs> He's the the big jerk, right? Yeah. And uh, Diedrich is the other guy. So Diedrich, apparently, when uh, William Feathersmith, we'll just call him Feathersmith now, Feathersmith was a kid, like, younger, gave him an opportunity, and then has regretted it ever since because Feathersmith is just this horrible person who's greedy and just wants to build an empire just on the backs of other people. Right. And he's just a monster. Right. And the guy says, you know, I've regretted it ever since and whatever. And he says, and Feathersmith is at this moment saying, well, here's the deal. You have this power plant in this town and I've wanted this forever and you've never, you know, given it to me. But now at one point I, you borrowed some money from me and I want you to pay up now. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, I want you to, Meet your obli- fulfill your obligation. The guy's like, well, I can't. If I do that, it'll ruin me. So he's like, well, it's mine. I'm going to take it. And, you know, all these jobs hang in the balance. So basically, I win. Yeah. So the guy leaves. He laughs maniacally. Ha, 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 and leaves. And janitor comes in. And uh, he's. they talk a little bit. And the guy's gloating about his big business thing. And the janitor says, you know, where are you? They kind of discuss, like, where are you from? I'm from Cliffordville. Oh, I'm from Cliffordville, too. Right, right. And then Feathersmith says something like, well, and he's got this terrible accent. It's his voice is the most grating thing. Yeah. Yeah. He He does this mouth thing. Oh, man, it's bad. Wow. Wow. It's awful. Anyway, he says something to the effect of, well, you and I are both from Cliffordville. Yeah. We both put our pants on one leg at a time, and there the similarities end. Right. Ah, And then he's like wandering around and waxing poetic, and he's like, basically, he's conquered everything in the business Uh world. He's like the richest man, yada, yada, yada. 
Uh, and then he just starts saying like, Genghis Khan, Feathersmith, Alexander the Great, Feathersmith. <laughs> and then the janitor has like a poetic line about like, oh, he cried because he had no more worlds to conquer. Yeah. Uh, quick, quick tangent. Yes. Did I ever tell you about my favorite thing ever when I was playing like catchphrase with my sister? Nope. My older sister. Uh, so the clue was Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. And so I said, he was from Greece and he conquered the entire known world. Right. And she said, John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, that's it. <laughs> I like that. That's quite nice. The entire known world is like uh, Pulp Fiction and then, you know, Battlefield Earth didn't do so well. But. Yeah, I think he played a woman one time. Yeah. What else do you need? <laughs> All right, sorry. Like Go that. ahead. So, so, so then he leaves and he goes down and he gets dropped off at the 13th floor of his own building. Right. He's, he doesn't recognize the place, and it's, it, he sees it's a travel agency. Right. And he's like... Miss Devlin's. Miss Devlin's travel agency. Could be anything. Could be anything. She's got horns. Yep. Okay, she's <laughs> she's some kind of uh, Satan. They they hide it for, yeah, like six seconds. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, Mrs. Devlin. She's like, oh, ho, ho. And then she just takes off, and it's like a crazy twinkling piano, and you see she has two cute little horns coming out of her cute hair. It's Julie Newmar. Who is that? She's a beautiful lady. She, she was no- Catwoman. Oh, really? Yeah. So basically, this being Satan in the Twilight Zone, there's a a barter kind of bargaining going on. She basically says he's bitching about, he's won everything, there's nothing left. And she offers him the chance to go back to Cliffordville. Yeah. And, and he, he start all ex- over again yep. with everything he knows. And then the, he kind of goes back and forth because he's a shrewd businessman naturally and he's saying well i want the body that i had back then and i you know again i want all my memories i want to know everything um and she's like okay it's gonna cost you a lot of money so all you'll have is like a little over a thousand well that's that's kind of the fun part is he's like i know how this system works and we also know how the system works because of the seventh episode with the satan in it at this point it's gonna be soul yeah yeah and he's like you want my soul right and she's like oh no we already got that like you, you closed this business a while ago and like four people killed themselves. Yeah. And so therefore we got your soul. Uh, so what we're going to need is $37 million. <laughs> yep. Which is weird. I don't know why, what Satan's going to do with this money. He has to like pay for like walking around money what? for when he's giving people at newspapers thousands of dollars at a time. Julie Newmar, they, yeah. they strike a deal and then uh, he gets on the train. Uh-huh. Gets off, and lo and behold, he is in the Cliffordsville, Cliffordville of his youth. Right. And all that entails, which, which means, like, muddy roads. He immediately is like, got to pave the roads already. Jeez, you know. It's that crappy thing where, like, people, when they accidentally go back in time, especially in the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. they keep slipping up, and they can't process the idea that they are back in time. Mm-hmm. But he voluntarily chose to go there. Right. And he's still confused. Like, he's like, what are these yellow flags everywhere? Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's the typhoid uh, flags. There's typhoid in that it's house, so don't go quarantine. in there. He's like, ah, they haven't they heard of inoculation or something? It's like... Whoa. Yeah, oh, I mean, or uh, whoa. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that going on. Also, there's a great joke when uh, he was on the train, mm-hmm. and the connector's like, Clifford Vale, Clifford Vale. And then he goes, Clifford Vale, the devil, you say. And he goes, yeah. Good, good look in the camera. Yeah. It really thinks it's cute, <laughs> this, this episode. <laughs> So fortunately, at this point, too, he's not wearing his old man makeup anymore. So it's a tremendous relief on the viewer. Still an annoying voice, but yes. less annoying. Okay, so his big gimmick, or his big plan, is that he's going to buy up a bunch of land 
that later proves to have oil in it. Right. So he sets this in motion. He meets up with a banker during lunch hours and then kind of, um, hey, businessmen being businessmen. Business never stops, even during lunch. You know, and the guy's very impressed with that. And he has to talk to his partner about it. And his partner, as it turns out, is that Diedrich guy. Young Diedrich, yeah. Young Diedrich, who looks identical. They didn't try to put, like, young makeup on him. Right. Ageist. <laughs> and so they strike this deal. They go back and forth uh, to negotiate the, the price of the acreage down. And when it's over, Feathersmith is like, ha, 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 ha. And he's... Basically, he does everything except for like run a lap around the room, like pumping his fist. Explains exactly tremendous a hole. He's like, "You think you did? A, you got yourself a good deal? Here's the deal." While we were talking, I sent a surveyor out there. He yeah. checked it out. There's oil under there. I win. Yeah. And they in turn say, "Well, that's interesting because we had a surveyor out years ago." Right. They said there is absolutely a lot of oil underneath there, but unfortunately, it's too deep. It's 5,000 feet below. <laughs> yeah, you can't access it. Right. And you can see like the gears in Feathersmith's brain turning and he realizes, oh, that technology has not yet been invented. Right. Crud. And at that point, he spent like a ton of money, basically all of his money. Right, right. To get that, that land. And he can't do anything until 1937 like, when they yeah. invented technology to drill it out. It's like he has to live for 27 years off of no money. Right. Uh and so then his world starts crumbling around him. And it's around this time, too, that he has the great idea of like, oh, I'm going to go back and get with that one lady because mm-hmm. she was so attractive. And now I can figure out a way to do it. It's actually that guy's daughter, right. uh, the guy that he buys the land from. And so he goes over there and she's just shoving bonbons in her mouth. And she's the most annoying person. Yes. Imaginable. It's a really weird scene that they never really touched on again. And she's an awful singer. Yeah. She starts singing. And then the father's like, yeah, she sings like a bird, doesn't she? And then uh, Feathersmith goes, yeah, a ruptured rooster. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> yeah. So now his new game plan to make money mm-hmm. is to convince people to build the greatest inventions of all time, which he knows about because he has a knowledge of the future. Oh, it's great because he goes to like a like a carriage shop and he's like, all right, you guys want to make a lot of money? Here's what you do. Uh, it's a self-starter. And they just look at him with dead eyes. They're like, yeah. what are you? We need the specifications and everything. We'll build it, whatever. He's like, no, can't you see? I'm giving you this great idea. Right. It's I'm a, not ideas, man. I'm not, I'm not going to build right. a blueprint. It's a button you push on, and then it starts the machinery, the engine, yeah. right. automatically. And the guy's like, again, I need specifications. I need blueprints. I need, I'm not a two-bit, yeah, two-bit draftsman. And the, then they just laugh him out of there. And basically, it's just a montage of these pitches that he has to people. Boy, is it a montage. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up because it's like the camera... It's like a Dutch angle, except then it like slowly rotates mm-hmm. to the opposite angle. Yeah. And this entire montage, the camera's always doing that. He's running around to different people, trying to explain inventions from the future. No one's understanding it. Everyone's laughing at him. But then instead of really having like a strong musical track, what they do is they replay the audio yes. from the exchange he just had about the self-starter, which like yeah. it wasn't 10 minutes ago. It was... 45 seconds ago, we just yeah. heard it, but now they're just playing it all again in its entirety. Yeah, they should have had like confusing music and like just the sound of laughter and it would have been... Right. It was super weird. It was really strange. So he's he's really exasperated by the end. And also he makes some comment about how like he's so winded and tired mm-hmm. or something. So basically, Cliffordville sucks. And I could have told you that the second he got off that train. <laughs> and he... Miss Devlin appears... And she's like, he's like, just take me back. 
this is not worth it. Right. I, I quit, whatever. And she's like, well, I can take you back, but it's going to cost you like 40 bucks. He's like, I don't have $40. She's like, well, you better hurry because when this clock strikes, whatever, this offer is off the table. And keep in mind, you're going to be going back to a future that is based on this yep, past. Based it's on not this past. the old life you used to have. Right. He's like, whatever, cool. So he runs out <laughs> and he's got this, like the deeds to this land and he grabs like the first person and he's in a horse and, he, and then like a, a carriage and it's uh, that janitor guy. Right. And he's like, here, buy this. It's a great bargain. I just need $40 from you. That's $40, a thousand acres. Yeah. So the guy gives it to him and then it starts up again and it's the janitor behind the table like the desk, it's the same exact opener. He's like the rich guy. He's like, like oh, Cliffordville. He used to work at Cliffordville, huh? Yep. And now Feathersmith is the janitor. It's the Biff thing from Back to the Future. Yeah. He's now the poor janitor bragging about his watch that he got after being a janitor for yeah, 40 years. Yeah, and then the guy's like, ah, if you stick around for another 40 years, I might buy you a fob. <laughs> what is that? It's the thing that you put the watch on, like the chain. Oh, okay, like good. That thing. Yeah. I'm glad you know that. Uh, so what's confusing about it is like, it's the future based on that past, but does Feathersmith not remember what happened in the past? Because you think, like, as he was a janitor, he would have mentioned, like, it seemed like the most important thing that would ever happen in his life is that mm-hmm. one time he went back in time. Yeah. So, but he doesn't make any mention of it. He just, like, plays along, like, just like a sheepish janitor when he should be like, hey, you're only rich because I went back in time and made you rich. Right. But apparently, Miss Devlin uh, erased his memory or something. Mm-hmm. This should have been a fun episode. It really should have been. This is the kind of thing where it's like you're going back in time to come up with crazy inventions and mm-hmm. get as rich as possible. Right. I understand it's Twilight Zone, so you can't just have a happy ending and then it's all over and done with. But like, that's a fun concept. Yeah. And it just doesn't click. The acting sucks from the main guy. Devlin's cool, but the main guy is just abysmal to watch. And mm-hmm. yeah, his ideas don't pan out and it's not satisfying in any way. He doesn't have like any grand strategy once he goes back in time. Yeah. I like the idea of him getting his comeuppance by just knowing like it'd be like me going back in time trying to describe a television it's like, right uh, it's, it's a box you look at it there's stuff inside that makes it go go come on right, giving right, right. You this great idea what do you think is the best invention you could go back if you could go back to 1910 is there something simple enough where it'd be like this is going to make a gazillion dollars mm. those Ooh. wings that you flap really fast and then you just fall and break your neck i've only seen black and white footage of them just those flying through the skies yeah yeah <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they never really explore the idea of him just investing in the stock market, which you think would be the most obvious thing. Yeah. But I guess at that point, he just, he wastes all his money on that oil land. Right. And he can't ride it out. So like the idea of even putting any money in the stock market, the point is he just gives up too easily. He gives up. Yeah. He should have just stuck around for two days. Worst case scenario, you live, you get like a second lease on life. Yeah. Like he, well, he was a miserable jackass anyway though so so you're a miserable jackass if you're young or old it doesn't really right. matter he just carried that back when he was younger gotcha yeah uh, i gave this one a four yeah i gave it a five okay i like it was redeemed somewhat by an interesting premise that they mostly squandered true i, I like the when everyone laughed him out of the shop okay yeah, that's great that's satisfying uh all right this next one you watched and then immediately forgot that you watched it yeah I watched it. We were doing the math, and I was like, Hanson, this next, like our last episode of the season is going to be four instead of three. We're going to, and you're like, no, we did the math. It's going to work. And I'm looking at the queue 
I'm like, no, I'm looking at it too. And because the title, The Incredible World of Horace Ford, just did nothing for me. And I went back to, to Hulu and started the episode up again. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this now. As soon as this main character popped up. But literally a day, two days after you watched this episode? It was a episode, day or two days, yeah. Okay. Just with that setup, I want you to describe this episode now. You, why? No, I'm just, just to torture you. Oh. All right, so it's the incredible world of Horace and Ford. Horace and Ford. Uh, so this guy starts out, and he's a 38-year-old toy inventor. It's basically like big. He is impossible to watch. I, <laughs> he is, without question, the worst character they've had on the show. Really? He is the most annoying person. He's like got this weird, affected nerd voice. It's a little bit like, like he's autistic, but... I don't even know if I'd go there. Okay. I would just say that he's just like a super nerdy man child and he just won't stop talking about playing stickball when he was a kid. And he's like, he's almost 40. Anyway, I'm There's sorry. A, okay. We, we can't start out so negative on this episode. All right. So yeah, he's a 38 year old guy. It's his birthday. Uh, he works in his toy shop. Uh, his boss is screwing him over and he's complaining about, how the boss wants to redesign this robot because we want to take the lights out. Yeah. He wants to take the lights out of the eyes because they're too expensive. And he's like, Oh, you can't simplify my design. I'm a brilliant creator. Um, so then you, it's, it, it, they show his home life mm-hmm. and he apparently lives with his mom and his, uh, strangely attractive wife, um, who somehow puts up with him for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so then like they're eating dinner and then, Horace just starts screaming, like, why don't you just be quiet? Both of you, just be quiet. And this is where the episode really kicked off, and I could not follow what he was trying to convey emotionally. No. Because it, his character, neurotic, and his wife's getting more and more upset because he's kind of losing his mind, but then his home life, his mom's there, and she yeah. doesn't remember any of his stories from when he was young. Cause he keeps talking about how he, it doesn't make any sense. Cause he's just making all references to like, well, you remember that one guy that one, you know, played stickball with this kid. And then yeah. the teacher, the whole oh boy, he was a real piece of work. Well, if he got a hold of me, he'd pull your ear. Yeah. And it just does that kind of, and then the mom is just like, Horace, honey, I don't remember this. He's like, ah, oh, don't you wish we could go back there? Don't we? And she's like, it was awful. It was horrible. And then he just like, that's when he freaks out. And then she, does he make her cry? Well, at a certain point, yeah, she cries, but that, 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 I think that happens later. But like, so then he keeps talking about how he has to go back to the street, uh, his, his, where he grew up. Uh, and then he goes there and it's a time travel thing. It's strangely similar to the last episode where it's just a guy wanting to go back to where he grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes back to his street. One second, was Randall Street? Something like that. Anyway, so he goes back to the street and he goes back in time and... He there's like a cute couple walking off a sidewalk and they do the bread and butter thing. Yeah, because he splits them up when they're yep. holding hands. Classic third appearance from the bread and butter yep. saying, we're very used to it. Now we're experts when it comes to bread and butter. Yeah, I don't even blink. Like, yeah, that's what you do when someone does that. <laughs> uh, so he then sees like little kids running around and he chases them for a little while. And then the one kid in the back of the pack turns around and it's like missing a tooth and he gives them just like this weird smile. Yeah, he's wearing uh, a Jughead hat, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, once Horace is back at his apartment, 
after going to that street, uh, the little kid shows up at the door of his apartment. Mm-hmm. The kid missing the tooth. His wife opens the door, and then the kid's like, "Ah, Horace dropped his watch." Yeah. And then the wife is just horrified, and it's like scary music. Mm-hmm. Uh, stinger commercial break. Right. The episode continues, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he becomes a, more and more neurotic. Uh, he's getting into more trouble at work. I think at this point, he gets fired uh, from his boss. His boss is just saying that, like, oh, you're having a little bit of a breakdown. Maybe you should take some time off. And he's like, no, because then you'll take over all my designs. I'm just going to quit. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and he has, like, a weird line where the boss fires him. And then it's like a close-up of his face, and he just goes, all right, 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 all right. Then I guess, then I guess I'm a worker anymore. Ah! And so then he goes back to uh, the past and to that street, and it's like a Groundhog Day situation right. where it's always the same thing. He's splitting the, the same couple. Yeah, the bread and butter thing. And there's like people screaming out the windows about beating up kids. Uh, and he sees the kids again, and the kid turns around and looks at them all weird. But he hears them talking about how they weren't invited to some birthday party mm-hmm. and how they're going to marbleize this guy for not inviting him to his birthday party. Right. Then it goes back and he's in the department and the kid shows up again with a watch mm-hmm. and the wife opens the door uh, and she's horrified again by this kid being there and then stinger commercial break. Right. And he, and Horace at this time is telling him like, I went back, I saw these kids, these kids that I knew and, is, and no has, one's believing him. He has a specific him. name for, yeah, what that, what that friend was called back then. He's like, he looks like he, he looked like he did back then. He's not an old man. Like he should be. Right. Uh, and his wife is trying to convince him that he's insane. So <laughs> this whole episode has like a, more than any other episode I've seen from the Twilight Zone, it feels like that kind of classic sitcom AB structure where there's like two simultaneous storylines, mm-hmm. except these are both with the same character where it's like they're building up the, toy shop you know trouble with the boss trouble with co-workers right storyline and then it keeps jumping to the storyline of him wanting to return to his youth which is you know obviously a constant refrain in the twilight zone <laughs> right uh but it's just i kept trying to figure out like is there more of a connection between these two things than i realized is there a mystery going on here because i can't track anything this was a mess it is okay let's just finish it off let's just finish off so uh he goes back to work. Oh, the day he gets fired, by the way, his coworker talks to him and he's like, hey, did you hear they named that kangaroo toy? They called it Mr. Hop Hop. It's a real good name. It's a great name. Catchy name. Just the best name. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I came up with that name. I'm the best. Uh, so that's apparently a whole storyline. He's always like one of the best toy designers, but underappreciated at his job. So he, after he gets fired, he's back home at dinner and the mom keeps talking about how she's scared. Like, it's unclear. Like, does she have mental issues? Mm-hmm. I, I So she's scared. The wife just snaps then and yells, shut up. I'm going to talk to Horace alone. And then this is where, like, the mom starts crying yeah. and walking out of the room. And she goes, what did I do so wrong ever in my life? What did <laughs> I do wrong? If somebody could help me, just tell me what I did wrong. And then she closes the door. That's that. That's the end of that mom's story. Just untraceable. I, yeah. I cannot figure out. I don't know what I was supposed to be feeling there. There's some, so some storyline they're going for with that. Yeah. Like the wife stressed out that the mom's living there. Mm-hmm. I mean, but really it's just an annoying guy being annoying throughout the whole episode. Yes. And traveling back in time or whatever. I mean, this is like a, a case study in how not to do a mental breakdown story. Unlike mm-hmm. the miniature 
where it's just handled so gracefully and beautifully. Right. And this one, it's just... Maybe you, this is supposed to, like, this is what it's like. This is what it feels just like. a bunch I mean, of disconnected vignettes and... Yeah, it could be. Like, he... I guess they start blending the storylines a little bit because he accidentally refers to his boss as his fifth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And his wife is really just can't handle it. Uh, so he... Let's see. When the hell does this happen? Oh, yeah. Is it... When do the people show up for the birthday party? Is that at the end? Well, they're going to have a surprise party for him. Yeah, that's a whole storyline. But is he there? I'm trying to remember if well, that's he goes back the, in time. Well, he goes back in time again. Yeah. And he sees the same thing, and the kids are going to marbleize. So then he sticks around longer. Yeah. And he sees at the party, it was his party, right? right. As a kid. He sees himself as a Or he turns into a kid. He does. He looks like the kid from A Christmas Carol, yeah. Or Christmas Story. Christmas Story, yeah, you're right. And they see him, and they're like, oh, there he is, it's Horace. And they just like... Marbleizing is apparently a term we just... It means getting your ass kicked. Yeah, <laughs> That's so they, what that is. They beat the crap out of him. Because they wanted to go to his birthday party. And then the wife goes down to Randolph Street. Yeah. Finds him as a kid lying in the street. Mm-hmm. He's distraught. She's like, oh, Horace. She cries against the wall. Then turns around again, and he's his old man self again. Right. Lying in the street. They take him back home. Uh, this time, the kid with the watch shows up, except he has a Mickey Mouse watch. Right which is what Horace referenced that he used to have when he was a kid earlier Because he did one of those, he was like, no, oh, you remember hanging out and you're playing sickball and your Mickey Mouse watch. Oh, remember Mickey Mouse watch? You had a Mickey Mouse watch. I forgot about those Mickey Mouse watches. It's like, it's annoying. I realized what I just did there is super annoying. Super Imagine annoying. being stuck with that guy for an hour. It is awful. Well, you probably have done that because you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. But and wasn't it, but that it's, annoying? It's annoying. <laughs> and it's teasing something larger. Yeah. And so I just kept digging, like, there has to be something here. Right. But there's really not. So then, yeah, people show up for the birthday party, and it's like, oh, boy, now's not a good time. Horace is melting down. Right. Don't don't come in here. Uh, And then, like, he has a conversation with his wife on that street, actually, Mm -hmm. where he's like, uh, she says, you know, we remember what was good, and we black out what was bad, and you saw a dark side of yourself. You don't have to see that again. Yeah, because he, he, at that point, is realizes it was awful. It Being was, a kid was awful. It was scary and lonely and terrible. Which and, I guess is the point of the episode. Yeah. Because then it, it like the camera, it's like, you know, closing out narration and whatnot. And then it's like a, the camera is pulling up on this light pole. And then the toothy gap kid is sitting on top of the light pole. <laughs> and then it just end credits. Yeah. This was a mess. Yeah. This is one of the most confusing episodes I've seen so far. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's just it, in the complete opposite of the miniature where every character is so perfectly defined. No character is defined here. Mm-hmm. There's no emotional ties to anybody. Yeah. Uh, I ended up giving this one a three. I had that written down originally. Yeah. And the more that I started talking to you about this, I'm going to downgrade this one. I'm going to give this one a one. Wow. <laughs> because this episode is total garbage. It has... There's nothing anchoring it. There's yeah. no like a sympathetic character that you can at least kind of feel some attachment to. Right. The story is nonsensical. It has time travel, but not in an interest. I like the Groundhog Day thing is fun, but it's just like if I don't understand why he didn't just stick around the first time. Like what was keeping him? And also the idea of just constantly recycling that stinger of the kid with the watch. Like I don't mind it at the end because it 
changes because he gives a Mickey Mouse watch. Yeah. But the other two times, it's like, that's the exact same stinger just to have that commercial break. Yeah. The same, th- same thing with like uh, Jess Bell with the Jaguar where they repeated the same thing. It's like, <laughs> hey, remember there's a Jaguar here. Right. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. yeah, but the, at least with that, you know that like, well, they had to rent a Jaguar so you may as well get your money's worth. This is just like a kid. Lord knows how much it costs to rent a Jaguar. Yeah. 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 Some toothy gap kid. Yeah. Maybe we didn't pay attention enough. Maybe we should watch this again. Try and find some genius through line going through it that we just missed. Man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you realize if you give this one a one, I gave it a three. This is a solid contender for the worst episode of The Twilight Zone. And I'm pretty confident in that. Wow. Honestly. All right. This was garbage. All right. Well, that's uh, Adventures of Horace Mann or whatever the heck it was. Incredible World of Horace Ford. Yeah. Um, so don't watch it. Yeah. I'm sorry if you did. Don't yep. blame us. We didn't tell you to watch these effing things. <laughs> no, we don't write them. <laughs> Not our fault. All right. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We'll post the next episode on Monday. Uh, and this is the end of season four. Yeah, the next one will be our last three-episode block. Let's cherish it together. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, Twilight Highlight, Twilight Highlight. You start laughing? You're just so distracted. Come on. You're killing me here. <laughs> Dumbass. That would be really distracting. Like, ah, trying to burn her. Checking levels. All right. One, two. You ready? Let's do it. I can't do it. Check, check, one, two. Check, check, check in your shoe. Look out for that shoe. George of the jungle. George of the bungle. George of the bunghole. <laughs> you want to count to five or something? Yeah. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. What would be the Encino Man porn? What would they call that? What they call it? Yeah. Oh, you mean like the porn parody? Yeah. I seen your man. <laughs> in see no man, like yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> or uh, or it'd be like a military thing, and it'd be called like ensign o man. In see no man on man. That's good. That's good. Um. Or it could be lesbian porn and see no man, and it's oh, just two and, girls. Yeah, <clears throat> see no man. yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, he eats a frog in that movie. Actually, that's in Son-in-Law. They have a weird callback. Do you remember that? I haven't seen Son-in-Law. What? I haven't seen Son-in-Law. I still argue that the first mo- half of that movie is really funny. <clears throat> you want to see Polly Shore getting down on the farm? Oh, that's that one. But then he learns to love the family. Uh, it's funny because his nickname is Crawl, and the dad on the farm, uh, who's runs the newspaper in uh, Adventures of Lois and Lane, Lois and Clark, Clark or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he can never remember his name and it's kind of like a Buzz Lightyear situation <clears throat> with Woody in the first Toy Story and like, uh, he keeps calling him Crotch instead of Crawl. Oh. So that's, that's the highlight. Good stuff. 
What's the highlight of these episodes? Hey, like, let's hey. get right on it, brother. Oh! <laughs> 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 <laughs>